Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Yes. So, good morning. Uh, welcome to the Atlanta Area Intergroup and our quarterly speaker meeting. I would like to introduce our speaker this morning who has traveled here from Macon. His name is Art B. Art has a wonderful story. The words that come to mind when I hear and see Art are humility and a gentle soul and a powerful story. So without any further ado, I'm going to just ask you to help me welcome Art B. Thanks, Rich. And thank you, everybody. Thank you especially for that meeting this morning at 9.30. Uh, It lifted me up. It strengthened me. Can you hear me? Okay. My name's Art, and I'm a sexaholic. I'm a weak and fearful person. I fear the disapproval of others. I fear failure. I fear starting things. I'm a compulsive masturbator, but my drug of choice is sexual fantasy, lust in the mind. That's my first drink. That's what will make me drunk. God has kept me sober since August 1st, 1985. And I ask God to clear away my ego and my fear. Help me get out of the way. And I ask God to move my voice out across the room so that uh, people can hear. I started out by summarizing what it was like. Uh, and, and But I left out. I left out a key part of that, and that is uh, I focus my mind on lust to the point of insanity. I made myself insane, and I harmed others, and I broke the law repeatedly. I was absolutely out of control. I was insane. This is not the insanity defense. Uh, It's it's a description of my thinking and behavior. Uh, So... The big book says we tell what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. So uh, 
I, I will touch some more a little uh, on what it was like, but I'm, I'm not going to focus on that. Uh, uh, I want to get past that and talk especially about what happened, that middle part. Now, in a sense, uh, what happened, I could talk about just four days in my life near the end of July 1985. But uh, actually, I need to go back 10 years before that when I went to an open AA meeting with a member of my family. And uh, the, the member of my family at the end of that meeting picked up a white chip. Uh, and uh, I learned at the end of the meeting that I was an Al-Anon. I have to mention this other program because uh, Al-Anon and especially AA are essential to my recovery. Uh, over the next 10 years, I went to more than 1,000 open AA meetings. I went to Al-Anon as well, but I went to AA meetings open AA meetings, I'm not an alcoholic, uh, because it's the only place in the world that I felt at home. And I didn't know why, but I kept going back. I didn't know why. Uh, during those 10 years, I was trying to get sober, uh, and, and I would... It, at some point in those 10 years, I would have started using that term, get sober. But I didn't know how. Uh, I knew I didn't want to continue acting out and harming people. Uh, and during those 10 years, I saw alcoholics come into the rooms, and I saw that those who kept coming back, became beautiful. That was one of the messages of AA to me, the men and the women. Uh, those who kept coming back became beautiful. And why I choose that word, I don't know, but that is just the way it came to me. Uh, and I wanted to be beautiful. Uh, I didn't want to be ugly. And sometime during that 10 years, I realized what it would take for me to be sober. I realized that the insanity started in my head. I realized that the way I made myself insane was I would get an image, get a sexual image in my head, uh, a scenario, uh, and I would build a story. And that sounds, in a way, that sounds a little rinky-dink, but that's, that's the way I experienced it. I would get an image in my head, and I would build a story. So, sexual fantasy. And whenever I say this, I can't think of the world out there of earth people 
and uh, and and uh, I think Earth people to hear me say that I that I got obsessed with sexual fantasy, some would say, "Well, so what? You know, we all we all get into that." Or a counselor might say, "Oh, this is a this is an important part of uh, of the inner life." Uh, well, that may be true for Earth people. I don't know. Uh, Earth people may be able to masturbate without uh, having a mood-altering experience. I don't know. Uh, but I became convinced, really convinced, so strongly convinced uh, that I, I think I didn't figure it out. I think that, uh, that this is something God gave me. That my first drink, and I heard the alcoholics talking about their first drink. My first drink was the sexual fantasy, uh, grabbing hold of the sexual fantasy, and uh, getting it going in my mind. Uh, now, this was this was a drug for me. And uh, one way I can illustrate it is that after I was sober for a couple of years, uh, probably two or three years, uh, and one of the memories of an old acting out situation or just the memory of one of my standard sexual fantasies that I had used, uh, when, uh, when I would remember something like that, I could feel... My brain changed, and I, I my my sponsor tells me don't don't analyze, but I'm going to analyze. Uh, my explanation is that I had enough clarity of mind by then, and it took me several years to get any clarity of mind. By the way, uh, but I had enough clarity of mind by then that I could feel the effect of the lust. Uh, So, I also had the experience of having a sexual fantasy going in my head and realizing that I had the opportunity to masturbate and making the decision to masturbate. And I could feel, I could feel the change in my in my body, uh, and the, the sense I had was it was a kind of delicious numbness would come over me. So I say that I have an addiction to a substance, and the substance is what I manufacture in my head. Uh, I can feel it in my body. Uh, I tried to get sober. I tried to to eliminate the sexual fantasies for at least ten years. Uh, I first I went to my first uh, open AA meeting in November 1975, uh, and of course I for a couple of decades I had been trying to control my masturbation and acting out with any, without any success. But uh, 
I went, I attended open AA meetings from 1975 to 1985, and as I said, more than a thousand. Uh, I was I was going to more AA meetings than some alcoholics, uh, and uh, now I understand those ten years uh, as God's work preparing me to get sober. I didn't get sober. I was crazy in the head, and I was dangerous. Uh, but God was using those ten years to to prepare me. Halfway through those 10 years, uh, I was divorced from my first marriage. And uh, certainly, my addiction contributed a lot to the failure of that marriage. Uh, it was a very rough marriage. I was a lousy husband. Uh, I was isolated, communicated very little of anything of importance to my to my first wife. Uh, blamed her for everything. Uh, and uh, and yet I I resisted divorce. Uh, and by the way, we went to three years of marriage counseling trying to save that marriage. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. That was, that was part of the journey, too. That was, uh, uh, during that, during that marriage counseling, in the first session, in fact, I was so desperate to try to save that marriage that I told my first wife and the counselor the nature of my acting out. Uh, so, so that was part of my journey. Uh, we went through those three years of marriage counseling, and the marriage kept getting worse. And she said to me for the last couple of years we were married, I'm going to divorce you. Art, I'm going to divorce you. And I, I said, well, uh, divorce me if you insist, but I'm not going to divorce you. And one of the one of the things motivating me was I thought if I were outside of marriage that I would be much more dangerous. And in fact, when I got married that first time, I thought it would make me normal. And it didn't. Uh, what it was like. My first wife did not withhold sexual uh, sexual commerce. Uh, and yet, after, after a period, I preferred to masturbate rather than have sex with her. And there would be times when, uh, and, and I always went to bed before she did, uh, and there would be times when I would Use, would get a fantasy in my head and just use the mattress, rub myself against the mattress to masturbate. And this is the bed she would come to later on to come to bed. Uh, uh, 
I feel a great deal of shame about that. Uh, I did great harm. And that's not the worst of what I did. But uh, that's the kind of marriage it was. Uh, so halfway through that 10 years, from 75 to 85, when I was going to AA meetings, the marriage ended. And uh, I, uh, I I thought that that the that the my life was over, uh, and I was scared to death. Uh, and I had two children by that first marriage, uh, and. What was I going to do? Well, I was in, immediately began looking around for someone to marry me. Uh, I still thought that I needed marriage to be normal. And I thought, well, that marriage was no good, but I'll get a good marriage and I'll be normal. Uh, so I was, I was remarried within uh, just a little over two years, which was too soon. And uh, I was insane to remarry. And my wife, who was my present wife, she was insane to marry me. Uh, although it is true, uh, she had the spiritual depth to say to me, Art, I feel like I get... To a certain point, I, and I'm trying to get close to you, and then I run into a wall. It's like you build up a brick wall around yourself. That was really a gift for her to say that to me. And uh, so I said, well, let's go someplace where we can sit down. And, uh, and by the way, this is, this is part of my journey, I was practicing being honest with women. I was practicing because I realized that I had never been honest with women. So I was practicing being honest with women. And by the way, I found out it's a good dating technique. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, this one said that she ran into a wall. And so I said, let's sit down. And I told her. Uh, the nature of my sexual orientation and my acting out. Uh, so that was a good thing for me to do. Now, she said later that what she heard was that this guy really needs me. That's what she heard. So, uh, uh, but, you know, uh, th that wasn't my responsibility. So, uh so I got married the second time, and uh, and I was not sober. And the marriage showed it. Uh, and after two and a half years into that marriage, by the way, don't do this at home. Don't get married unsober. Uh, <clears throat> Two and a half years into that marriage, I got sober. So that was in 1985. Uh, and 
many times in, in meetings I've heard members of the program say that when they, when they got sober, they immediately got some clarity of mind and, uh, and they, 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 they started to lose that rage uh, and had better relations with their family. That wasn't true for me. Uh, and again, I'll analyze and say, I think that I had been numb all that time. And when I got sober, the numbness started to fade away. And, and all of these feelings came up. And I, I became a rageaholic and yelled at my wife and children. And I had two more children with that marriage. Uh, I was a rageaholic. Uh, I was uh, uh, unable to cope with the kids very often. Uh, so, so it it took quite a bit of patience on my wife's part. At one point, she suggested a trial separation. Uh, so I almost lost that second marriage. But I didn't. Uh, and so this is, uh, let, let me go back to, uh, to 1985. And I said that if I, if I had to say, if I had to talk about what happened, I'd talk about four days in July 1985. So, uh, I was at an open AA meeting, uh, a Sunday evening open discussion meeting in Warner Robins uh, in July 1985, and it was a meeting that I, I, I made religiously. I'm a regular churchgoer, but uh, I, I made that meeting as regularly as I go to church. For one thing because Sunday night was so scary, uh, approaching the week for me. So uh, so I was at that meeting, and, and after the meeting, a guy came up to me and started chatting about how he had a problem with masturbation since, since his divorce, which was not the kind of fellowship I normally expected after an AA meeting. <laughs> And uh, and I I was mystified, and I was wondering if he was trying to pick me up. Uh, and uh, but I just said, "Yeah, I had that problem too." And then he told me that there were people who met. Uh, and called themselves sex addicts and worked the 12 steps. And, you know, through all that time as I was trying to get sober, it had never occurred to me why I was so comfortable at AA meetings. It never occurred to me that I was an addict. It never occurred to me. I'm so smart. <laughs> uh, 
But when he said that word addict, a light bulb went on. And I said, my God, that's it. I'm an addict. I'm powerless. I knew the steps. I had partly worked them as an Al-Anon. Uh, I said, I'm an addict. So he told me that there were meetings in Atlanta uh, and uh, the first meeting he told me about was on a Monday night, but then that one shifted to Wednesday night, and he gave me directions on, on how to get there. Now, where I lived at the time, that was a 200-mile round trip. Uh, but the next Wednesday, I drove to Atlanta. This uh, he gave me the he gave me the address. No GPS back then, of course, but. Uh, uh, he gave me the address, and it was on Peachtree Street. And, of course, every other street in Atlanta is Peachtree <laughs> And as I was driving up Peachtree Street, I, I crossed a, an overpass going over some other road. And there was a woman standing at the overpass looking down at the traffic below in such a way so that her body imprinted on my mind, and it's still there. It's still there, but but I was on my way to a meeting, and uh, and I got to that meeting, and uh, I found a group of people who call themselves sex addicts. It was not SA; it was an unaffiliated group. Uh, they used some literature from SA, uh, which of course was was uh, kind of a lot of it was in loose leaf form. Uh, they used some literature from another 12-step S program. Uh, and in this group, everybody picked their own sobriety definition. And you know, oh, and by the way, this fellow who had 12-stepped me after that uh, open AA meeting had given me an earlier version of the white book, and I read that twice in two weeks. And, and the, what it gave me was hope. It gave me hope, uh, but it didn't give me much else because I was so numb and I did not even see the sobriety definition. Didn't see the sobriety definition. So I was in this group and everybody picked their own sobriety. And that was a great blessing actually for me because uh, I prayed to God and I said, God, tell me what my sobriety is. And there was one guy in the group who only allowed himself to masturbate on Wednesdays. <laughs> so I prayed to God and I said what is my sobriety and I knew I knew the answer it was just a matter of accepting and embracing it and the answer was uh, my first drink is when I take a sexual thought and build a story on it it's not masturbation. Uh, it's not infidelity. Uh, I am drunk long before I masturbate. So that was my that was my first drink. I knew it. And then immediately I said, "But that means failure, because I had tried to control my mind for decades, and especially in those last ten years when I knew what was making me crazy." 
I, I still had these sick fantasies uh, all the time. So I knew that if I picked up a white chip and said, I'm going to stop having sexual fantasies, that I would be a failure. So I embraced failure. I picked up the white chip and I said, I'm going to try to uh, let go of my fantasies as they come. I didn't say I was going to try to have a clear mind. but I said I'm going to try to let go of the fantasies as they come. Now, what gave me the courage to do that was that while I was attending these meetings in late July, uh, I got four days together that I, I had never had experience of that before. Four days together and my mind was completely clear of sexual thoughts. I wasn't even trying. But I was aware my mind was clear of sexual thoughts for four days. Then my wife had to take some professional certification exam on the Emory of on the uh, campus of Emory University, and we so we drove up here to Atlanta. And I stepped out of the car, and there were all these women around, and so I had some sexual thoughts. Uh, but I picked up that white chip, expecting to fail, and my perception is that God let me see them coming. That before I could be in a fantasy for 20 minutes while I was doing other things and not even realize it. And my perception is that God let me see them coming. And uh, that is the basis of my sobriety. So I got sober outside of SA. Now, I'm grateful to be in a fellowship where there is a fellowship definition of sobriety. Uh, but I, when I picked up that white chip, I didn't say I'm not going to masturbate. But the desire to masturbate left me soon afterward because my addiction is mental. It's in my head. And I believe that this is the message that I am to carry today, that uh, that if I can surrender, and now I, I can't, I can't force them away. I've got to surrender. If I can surrender, uh, God will keep me sober. Now I can't surrender without God in the first place. Uh, there have been times when when I have prayed, God help me to be willing to surrender. Uh, but, but I can't force it. Uh, about two weeks ago, in fact, I, I, know, I know precisely when it was. It was uh, the morning of Friday, July 31st. Uh, I was taking a shower, and a lust thought came into my head. I said, oh, there's a lust thought. And and it went away with hardly any effort. And about 10 seconds later, a completely different lust thought came into my head. I said, oh, there's another one. (laughs) 
and it it was easy to let it go. And I, I wasn't finished my shower. A third lust, a completely different lust thought came into my head. And I said, this is a busy morning. <laughs> and, and I was able to let it go. And I smiled to myself. You know, these lust thoughts, when they come to me, they don't seem dangerous. Uh, they come promising to make me happy. They'll say, don't worry about me, Art. Uh, I'm not really dangerous, and I'll make you happy. Uh, now, that's a lie. Lust is a liar. And I know because all of those decades, when I, when I took the lust thought in and made it my own, it made me miserable. They always made me miserable. Uh, they led to misery and great harm. Uh, and I was smiling to myself because if I made it till midnight that night, then I would have 30 years of sobriety. And, uh, and my friends have made a big deal of this, uh, and, uh, and, and, and it's been fun. Uh, we had uh, at, the, at the regular Friday meeting last night, and by the way, when I went to my Friday meeting that uh, two weeks ago uh, on the 31st of July, I reported to uh, my home group uh, that I'd had these three lust talks, just as I'm reporting to you. But uh, last night, the group uh, gave me a birthday cake uh, with uh, written on it the number of the number of days there are in 30 years, uh, and uh, uh, it was really it was really delightful. Uh, so, why am I sober this morning? I'm sober this morning because God has given me surrender over the lust thought. Uh, now. Um, I used I used some pornography uh, when I was acting out, but not much. Of course, that was before the internet. Uh, I always thought I could do better movies in my head. Uh, so, so that's that's the basis of my sobriety. By the way, I've never seen pornography on the internet. I think if I did, I might be hooked. But I, I, I haven't seen it, so I hope God will spare me that. Uh, now, that's what I wanted to say this morning. I'm going to say a few more things. Uh, how is it that I continue to be in surrender? Uh, I go to meetings. We have three meetings a week in Middle Georgia, and I go to all three meetings. Uh, my wife says that she knows I'm working a program because I make a lot of phone calls and I get a lot of phone calls. She says when, when I'm not on the phone anymore, then she's going to worry. Uh, actually, I think if I lost my sobriety, she would know it immediately anyway. Uh, and by the way, uh, when I first got sober, there weren't many sex addicts in Georgia. 
<laughs> it was hard. It was hard to find somebody to call. So I was calling all over the country to people that I had learned about where I would got their phone number from somebody else in the program. I was calling all over the country whenever, and, and I should say this, whenever I had a hard time surrendering Allah's thought, uh, I would pray to God, God, give me the willingness to surrender this lust thought. Now, if it kept coming back, my next prayer to God was a phone call, and I consider a phone call to another member as a prayer to God. And uh, I would say, uh, you're my witness that I'm asking God to release me from this desire to fantasize. And uh, sometimes I'd call a guy and he'd say, hello, I'd say, I don't want to make this damn phone call, but I'm in the damn habit. Because <laughs> uh, there were a lot of times I didn't want to make the call. In the early days, in the, in the late 80s, uh, this was before deregulation. And uh, you have to be of certain age to remember deregulation. Uh, it, it used to be that there were monopolies with the phone companies. You know, there was, there was one phone company. And, uh, and long distance was expensive. And at, at one point, my wife, who was, at that time, she was paying the bills. She was writing the checks each month. At one point, my wife said, uh, I don't want to see that phone bill anymore. She said, you better get it out of the mailbox, and you better write the check, and don't let me see it, because we had a very high long-distance bill. Uh, but I always say it was cheaper than lawyers. So uh, so I, I use the phone. Uh, I have a sponsor. My intention is to call him five days a week. We take off on, on the weekend unless I'm really in trouble. Uh, I don't always call him five days a week. Uh, but he is still the person to whom I am ultimately accountable after God. Uh, in fact, he, he said to me, uh, a couple weeks ago, he said, you know, you and I are more friends than sponsor and sponsee. And I corrected him, uh, which I don't often do. Well, I do it sometimes. But, <laughs> but I said, uh, I want it understood between us that I am accountable to you. Uh, I, I need that relationship because otherwise I think I'm in charge. Uh Okay, there's one more thing I want to say, and that is it gets better. Uh, we, there's a, uh, in the Member Stories 2007, there's, a, there's a, a story in there, and the title is It Gets Better. And it gets better. Uh, those three fantasy ideas, uh, or as I sometimes have called them, fantasy starts, that came into my head two weeks ago. Uh, you know, I saw them coming. I said, oh, okay, there's one. And I let it go. And it it, it really is pretty much automatic. Uh, I will go weeks without really being aware of lust operating. Uh, now, that took a while coming. I, I, I remember at the end of the year 1996, so I was... Ten years sober. I remember at the end of the year 1996, I said, wow, I haven't had much lust this year. 
so it took a while. I'm, I'm a hard case. Uh, but uh, but it's not a struggle with lust. So uh, that's, that's something I need to say. And I think I probably ought to quit talking. Thank you. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.